The first lesson is a reading from the third chapter of Lamentations. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for one to bear the yoke in youth, to sit alone in silence when the Lord has imposed it, to put one's mouth to the dust. There may yet be hope to give one's cheek to the smiter and be filled with insults. For the Lord will not reject forever. Although he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve anyone. Here ends the reading. Psalm 30, as printed in your bulletin, will be read responsively. I will exalt you, O Lord, because you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies triumph over me. You brought me up, O Lord, from the dead. You restored my life as I was going down to the grave. For his wrath endures, but the twinkling of an eye, his favor for a lifetime. Well, I felt secure, I said. I shall never be disturbed. You, Lord, with your favor, made me as strong as the mountains. I cried to you, O Lord. I pleaded with the Lord, saying, Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. O Lord, be my helper. Therefore, my heart sings to you without ceasing. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. The second lesson is a reading from the eighth chapter of 2 Corinthians. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this manner, a matter I am giving my advice. It is appropriate for you who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something. Now finish doing it, so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, 
not according to what one does not have. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of a fair balance between your present abundance and their need, so that their abundance may be for your need in order that there may be a fair balance. As it is written, the one who has had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. Here ends the reading. If you are able, please rise for the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the fifth chapter. When Jesus had crossed the sea again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there is a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone, out, had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you say, who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. 
congregation will be seated. I'd like to invite the children down for a moment. excited about Vacation Bible School this week? Yeah, I know I am. Um, we have some visitors here today, and uh, what's, what's your name, buddy? Jace? J- how's that spelled? Oh, J-A-C-E. All right, so we're going to do one, two, three, God loves Jace. Everyone ready? One, two, three, God loves Jace. And Dylan, we know, we'll skip him for now, even though God loves him. And... And I think this is Ellie, right? So we'll do, we'll do one, two, three, God loves Ellie. One, two, three, God loves Ellie. All right. Um, so quick question here. I brought, I brought some little show and tell things today. And uh, what, is, what, what are these things right here? Soap and a washcloth. Not, not rocket science, right? <laughs> what do we use these for? For washing ourselves. But why do we wash ourselves? To stay clean? Why? Don't know, because mom and dad say so? Yeah. Because <laughs> you want to? Yeah, it feels nice to be clean. Maybe you've been all sweaty and dirty. It feels good to get all that dirt off and, and everything and uh, um, so we take a bath or <laughs> we take a shower, right? There used to be a song. Splish, splash, I was taking a bath. Long about a Saturday night. But that was before your time, most of you, I think. Uh, <laughs> good? <laughs> I didn't sing it very well, all right? Give me, give me a break here, okay? You know, so. But uh, do you all know that the word baptism and baptize comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to wash, to immerse. So today, earlier, we had a little special bath for Dylan. Can you believe it? Um, But instead of a bath that washes away the sweat or the dirt or the grime, what do you think it washed away? Germs, a little bit, a little bit. What else? What else did it wash away? The sin, exactly right. Right, like we all make mistakes in life. We all fall short, even Pastor Dave. We do things that are not always in our best interest, things that God would hope that we don't do, and nothing we call sins, right? And the baptism is a way that we remember that God is ready to forgive us. Um, to wash us of our sins and cleanse us of our sins so we can be the people that God wants us to be. So uh, one of my pastor, uh, pastors when I was young always told me to remember, remember my baptism. And he would say that you could remember your baptism at the pool when you jump in the pool. You can remember your baptism in the shower. Right? You can remember that God loves you. When's another time that you could be wet with water and remember your baptism? When you're playing in the rain? 
When you jump off the diving board? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Anytime we get wet with water, we can remember our baptisms. And so guess what? I'm gonna help you right now <laughs> to remember your baptism just a little bit, all right? So I want you to remember, I want you to remember that you are loved by God. This water is gonna remind you that, that you are God's beloved child, right? Even a little bit for Ellie. Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. That's on the blooper reel. All right, Dylan, you liked it so much, we'll do it again. Just a little bit for you. And Jace, can you remember that God loves you? And uh, even Tim, too. So, all right. So, all right, let's say a quick prayer together, okay? Uh, dear God, we thank you for our new friends, uh, for Dylan and for Jace and Ellie, and I thank you for all these children and for their faith and for their faithfulness. And especially, Lord, this day, we thank you for the gift of baptism, and we remember that it is your promise to be with, be with, be with us and to love us always, and we thank you for that. And we pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. All right, thanks, boys and girls. Go have a seat. <laughs> Getting back to normal, right? <laughs> so, I've been very uh, lucky, I think, and, and, and uh, that might be the best word um, in my life. That generally, I've not been ill very often. Um, when I was young, I had chicken pox pretty bad. Uh, not as bad as my younger sister, who was completely covered with chicken pox. Um, I think I had to miss a couple days of school, um, nothing serious. And then about maybe the sixth grade, I had a, that was probably the most sick I was in my youth, when I had a very bad case of mono and had to stay home from school for about a week and I had to take these antibiotics and I had an allergic reaction and got hives and so I was home for a while. But you know, back then, um, even when I was sick, to miss school, it was like, yes. <laughs> you know, anytime you could just be at home and watching TV, you were, you were kind of glad to, you know, it wasn't that bad, right? Um, but I was lucky. I mean, that's pretty, pretty fortunate that that's the worst sickness that I've had. You know, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. Um, over this past year, uh, with, with the pandemic and, and with the quarantines, I had three times where I mentioned, I think I might have mentioned this last week, that... I had to be quarantined for two weeks. Um, the first was in Mississippi, and then two weeks in Bahrain when I first got there, and then two weeks when I got back to the United States. And um, I gotta tell you, you know, I mean, it was kind of a first world problem. You know, I can't, you can't complain too much when you have Wi-Fi and hot water and stuff like that. But it was still pretty lonely. I mean, it was still pretty lonely being in a small room all by yourself for like two weeks you know, I mean, you can FaceTime your wonderful spouse or FaceTime your mom and, you know, but they can only take so much of your whining, right, you know, when you're, when you're in quarantine. But that experience did make me think about what it must be like for people that for longer periods of time have to be separated from family or friends, um, separated from their communities, um, and they don't have a choice. And, you know, not like nowadays when you can do a FaceTime or whatever. I mean, they're really isolated. 
Um, probably at some point before you might have you might have heard about um, Mary Malone, who was later better known as Typhoid Mary. Um, she was an immigrant from Ireland. She was born in Ireland and came here back in the early 1900s when she was a teenager uh, and lived in New York City. And she worked as a cook. And as it turned out, she was maybe one of the very first cases of someone that was asymptomatic with typhoid fever. And everywhere she went, and she was cooking the food for these people, there would be like a typhoid outbreak. And several people died. Um, and eventually they figured out what, that, you know, she was the carrier of this disease. And so she did things like she would change, try to change her name and work somewhere else to earn a living, but people kept getting sick. And so eventually she was put into quarantine twice, the first time for about seven years on uh, North Brother Island there near Manhattan, I think. And then the second time for like 23 years, she had to be in quarantine. So she spent almost 30 years of her life not in complete isolation, but she could not be near other people. Um, and so I thought, wow, I mean, imagine, here I am whining about a couple of weeks of being alone, but some people, they lost their families, they lost their communities, things like that, because of the, the illnesses they had. And uh, this isn't a new phenomenon. You know, we had this in the ancient world, too. And that's really, I think, what this story is about. Um, from the Gospel reading today, we have two stories, one story with sort of two healings of people that were sort of unclean or on the outside of, of society, of community. The first is this woman that had been had, having bleeding or hemorrhaging for 12 years. So for 12 years, she had to be separated from her family and friends, probably living in a remote place. And then we have the story of, of the young girl uh, the daughter of this prominent person, probably a well-to-do person if he's the leader of a synagogue, um, and she is approaching death. And in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there were three big things that caused people to be considered unclean. And it was leprosy, and any kind of, uh, that was the first one. The second one was any kind of bodily discharge that was not like sweat or tears. You had to go outside the community and be Separated, and then the third one was contact with the corpse. If you came into contact with the, with the dead body, you would be considered ritually unclean for a certain amount of time. And if you were unclean, you could not worship with the community. Uh, you could not go to the holy temple in Jerusalem and do all these normal things that people would do in their daily lives um, because you were considered to be unclean, and there was a fear that you might contaminate others in the community. So in this gospel story, it's not, we, we like to think of things often nowadays in medical terms, right, about maybe what kind of virus or germs or, you know, that type of thing. But this is really a story about Jesus correcting and, and making right people's relationships, not only with God, uh, because, of course, back then they often thought that if you were sick, it was a punishment from God, right, that you had done something wrong and God was punishing you. But he also restores their relationship with, the, with their families and, and with their communities. So in the first case, uh, this poor woman who had spent all her money on doctors, um, 12 years, she hears the good news that Jesus, this miraculous healer, is, is coming to town. And she sneaks up and touches his, 
his, his clothes, right? And immediately she's healed. And he wants to know, who was it that touched me? And I don't think he said it in an angry voice. We don't know his tone of voice. But I think he was wondering, you know, who, who, who touched my, my clothes? And uh, because by doing so, she would have made Jesus unclean, right? If you touch someone with a dirty hand, if you shake someone who was mowing, if you shake the hand of someone that was mowing the lawn or doing some yard work, did you make them clean or did they make you dirty? <laughs> right? They, they made you dirty, right? So this woman, by touching Jesus, would have made him ritually unclean. So he asks who touched him. Uh, she tells him the whole story about her suffering, and then what does he say? Daughter. Daughter. She's no longer just a nameless woman, a nameless poor woman. She is a daughter. He has restored her to a proper relationship with the God of Israel. She's no longer an outsider. She's regained her correct place in the family by what Jesus has done. And I think what we can all learn from this woman, too, is that faith is important, and uh, certainly as Lutherans, um, it's, it's what we hold up as our, as our belief that Jesus makes us right with God through our faith. But it took some action on her part, too. It took her to build up some courage to, to, to find Jesus, to walk up to him and, and to touch his clothes. So sometimes it takes a little bit more than just our faith. It takes us putting our faith into action. Um, one of my mentors always used to say, you know, faith is not really what, about what we believe, but about the difference that it makes in our lives, right? <laughs> the difference it makes in our daily lives. So after restoring this, this poor woman to her, not only healing her body, but her relationship uh, with the community and her relationship with God, um, before he can get to the home of this uh, young girl, they come and tell her your daughter, they come and tell the man your daughter has died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And what does Jesus say? Don't be afraid, only believe. And I think what Jesus is getting at here, it seems like an unusual reaction. I mean, usually after someone dies is not the time that we fear, feel afraid. It's usually beforehand. But I think his statement of don't be afraid is they, they, told, they told the man, don't bother Jesus. Don't bother him. And I think Jesus is saying, you can always bother me. <laughs> you, can all, you can bring anything to me. Any care or concern you have, any worry. Don't fear that you're going to overburden me, um, that I'm going to stop loving you, stop caring about you. Don't fear that. Believe and trust in me that uh, I have come to for you. Um, this is what Jesus has, has told him. So I think what I like most about this story, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it here with this, with our young, youngins ready to go play, go for a swim in the pool and, and remember their baptism uh, in a little bit. Um, but there's a little bit of tension in this story. And I think that's always the most important thing is the tension in the story. And after Jesus has miraculously brought this young girl back to life. Um, he tells the disciples and those who are with him, what does he say? Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. And that might strike us as very strange. Um, of course, later on, after his resurrection, Jesus said, go tell everybody. 
right? Go tell everyone and baptize as many people as you can. But at that moment, he said, don't tell anybody. And I think the question is why? And I think the reason is that Jesus did not want to be known simply as a person who did miracles, who made everything hunky-dory and fixed all of our problems. Jesus wanted to be known as the one who would take up the cross and the one who calls us to take up our crosses um, and to know that no matter what we face, even if it is as gruesome and terrible as a death on the cross, that he is there with us, um, that he will be there, and he's able to transform that. So are we able to, to do, someone spilled the beans because we have the story in the Bible. Are we as excited about what Jesus has done for our lives as the people in this story were? Because someone obviously didn't listen to what Jesus said, or else we wouldn't be hearing about it on a Sunday morning 2,000 years later. So my challenge for us today is to think about how we can proclaim that Jesus is the one who has come to bring healing, to, create, to make relationships right, but at the same time, knowing that we may face suffering and hardship and that it's okay uh, because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So as we think about these things in the days to come, as we all remember our baptisms, may God bless you all.